0: Hey everybody, it's good to be with you again on the Bible and Life podcast. I hope that wherever you are, you are doing well and life is treating you good. Uh, my family and I are getting ready for a weekend trip up to uh, eastern Washington in the United States. Uh, we got a nephew that's getting married up there, so we're looking forward to that trip. We're heading out tomorrow morning. So hope you are well where you're at. Uh, before we jump in today, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have have been supporting this podcast and have been listening and giving me feedback and encouragement. Man, it means uh, so much to me. Last week we crossed the two thousand download mark, and that's really because of you guys. You guys are on the ground floor of getting this podcast up and rolling. It's it's really like our podcast together as we together get this thing going. And so here's kind of what I, I would uh, like to see us do. Let's let's convince iTunes to promote the Bible in life podcast. And let's do that by all of you just getting on iTunes or on Apple podcast and, uh... Rating and reviewing the podcast. If you would do that, and if a number of you would rate, review, and and uh, sh- and share that with iTunes, man, that would help iTunes uh, like my podcast more and promote it more in their their search features, so that more and more people can find the Bible in Life podcast and become familiar with it. All right, with that, let's let's jump in. We're working still through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in Matthew chapter six, and. Uh, just to make sure we haven't forgot where we're at, we're in this first major chunk of Matthew chapter six, where what Jesus is doing is he's he's going to give a handful of barriers to surpassing righteousness. And what he's specifically been doing in this chunk is he's been focusing on instructions about practicing your righteousness before people to be seen by them. He says, "Don't do that. When you do whatever is uh, you know some well known spiritual righteous deed, giving, praying." fasting, leading worship, preaching a sermon, doing your devotions, whatever it is, whatever is a well-touted righteous deed, he says, be cautious about, be aware of, be on the lookout for practicing that before people to be noticed by them, to be seen by them. And really the problem with that is this idea of keeping up religious appearances. When we do that, our righteousness really is only skin deep and will never be changed deeply on the inside. And so that's the section we're in. And he's given those three examples of giving, praying, and fasting. And we've looked at each of those over the last few weeks. Uh, What we skipped over in the middle of the praying section is some of Jesus' instructions about prayer. Uh, We said at the end of the praying section that prayer is supposed to be part of a real relationship with God whom we've placed our confidence in as a kind-hearted father. That's what prayer is supposed to be, and we looked at that a couple episodes ago. Well, as part of that, What Jesus does is he just pauses then and he gives instructions in general about how to pray. Um, We know it as the Lord's Prayer. And so, skipped over that so we could keep the flow of the the big context, but now let's come back to that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and following, uh, what is known as the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gives some instructions on how to pray. And so, what he does, just by way of overview of the Lord's Prayer, is he he gives us an address, how we address God, and then he gives a series of requests, things we ask from God as we pray to him. And sort of in doing so, he gives us a pattern, a model, a little template for how to pray. And so here, here is uh, Jesus' instructions on how to pray. In fact, in Luke's uh, account of the Lord's Prayer, it shows up really after the apostles' asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, which ought to be incredibly fascinating to us. His disciples, his apostles, were all Jews. They grew up in synagogues. They grew up in homes that prayed. They had seen all sorts of religious leaders pray. And they hear Jesus pray repeatedly and routinely as part of his life. And after listening to Jesus pray for a while, they are so impressed by, so amazed by Jesus' prayer life, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer in response to that. And so here in the Lord's Prayer, we have Jesus' instructions on how to pray. And it provides at least a pattern, a little bit of a template or model for us for our prayer lives. All right. So with that, uh, let's jump into the Lord's Prayer and let's begin with the address. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, pray then in this way, our father, who art in heaven? And in the context of Matthew chapter 6, remember, he has instructed us that our Father knows our needs. Um, we are praying to our Father who sees in secret. The prayer is supposed to be part of a real relationship with God, whom we know and trust as a kind hearted, good Father. And in the culture of Jesus' day, there is some evidence that Jews of Jesus' day referred to God as Father. It wasn't widespread, and maybe not uh, super common, but but there was some evidence that the Jews referred to God as Father. But with Jesus and Jesus' own relationship to God, addressing God as Father was distinctive of his prayer life and his relationship with God. And what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting us into that. As I, Jesus is saying, call God Father. As I walk with God as a good, kind, wise father, so you too. And he's inviting us into that kind of prayer, that kind of relationship with God, so that um, knowing God and addressing God as our Father is distinctive of our relationship with God as well. And the the early church and the apostles picked up on this, and so they, they taught us to address God this way. You see this frequently in uh, Paul's writings. For example, Romans chapter 8, where the apostle Paul says, For you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear again, uh, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we... Cry out to God, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And Abba is the Jewish way of re- referring to your father in terms of love and intimacy. Dad. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're a small child or an adult child. There is this closeness, this intimacy with your father. He's Abba. He's Dad. And that's significant. And so we are being invited into this kind of relationship with God where we address him as Abba, Father, Dad in this close, intimate, loving relationship. All right. Well, that raises a really important and powerful question that I think we need just to pause real quick and at least reflect on briefly. And that's this. Well, what if you've had a bad experience with a father? How how can you relate closely and intimately to God as your father if you haven't had a good experience with fathers? If your father was abusive or just absent or uh, unemotional, right? How do you how do you connect with God as Father if you've had bad experience with fathers and that's a fair question and an important question because the role that a father plays in a child's development is so crucial and so important that if you've had a bad experience with a father um, that can that can leave sort of a real difficulty in thinking of God as a father in my own personal case we'll talk about this more actually in the next episode, but in my own personal case. Uh, my earliest childhood memory is the night my dad left home and walked out on uh, my mom and the three three of us kids, and, and I really had virtually no relationship with my dad. Uh, he left when I was three and a half. Didn't see him again until I was seven. And between seven and 20, I only saw him a handful of times. And so there was very little relationship there. Certainly didn't have a good experience of a father. Now, I was at least blessed to have a good relationship with my grandpa. And I think that helped some. Uh, but nevertheless, um, my understanding of a, a dad and a father was severely um, lacking and even damaged because of my own father's activity, right? So how does that affect your experience of God as father? Well, my my answer to that as one who has wrestled with that both personally, pastorally, and even biblically is this, that we need to interpret our father's actions, our earthly dad's actions, from what the scriptures say about God. Rather than interpreting our experience of God from what our earthly father did. Do you get that? That that we make sure we hear what scripture says about God and what we know about God through Jesus. And we take that and we let that shine a light on our earthly father's actions and our earthly father's shortcomings and whatever our earthly father was like. And we let our experience and our knowledge of God from the truth of scripture interpret and inform what we experience from our Earthly Father, rather than letting our earthly Father uh, reflect badly on our Heavenly Father, and so that uh, I think at least begins to help us have a plan for how do we understand God as Father. Well, we look at Scripture and we hear what kind of Father God is like, and and so look at the Scripture. What do you see? Whether it's in Jesus' teaching or elsewhere in the Scripture, what kind of God or what kind of Father is God? Well. Here's a case in point in Jesus teaching. Look at Luke 15 and the well-known story of the prodigal son. Well, in that story, uh, the father represents God. And God in that story is incredibly generous, incredibly merciful, incredibly gracious. Um, he doesn't take offense and doesn't take insult so personally that he can't welcome his son back when he returns home. And so this son insults a abuses, really takes advantage of, and wishes his father were dead, runs off, blows the family inheritance, and the father is watching and waiting for him to return. And when he returns, at great personal cost, including the shame and humiliation before the townsfolk, the father runs to welcome his son home. That's the kind of father God is. The father then throws a massive party uh, to welcome the son back into the family so that all the townsfolk would no, no, this is my son and I'm glad he's home. And in a certain sense, he's almost defending the son from the townsfolk and restoring the son to a uh, place in the family. That's the kind of father God is. Or another place in Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus says this, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, like those of us who are imperfect fathers, right? We're imperfect people. We've got a bad side to us, and, and we're not perfect people. And yet we can still give good gifts to our children. And Jesus says, well, how much more? How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's the kind of Father we deal with, one who doesn't have a dark underbelly, one who is good all the time, one who's perfectly wise and always knows what's best. How much more will he give good things to those who ask him? Or a passage that has meant a lot to me because of my relationship with my Father, 1 John 3 1 says this. Behold, how great a love, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that's who we are. This this God, our our heavenly Father, overflows with love so much so that He He makes us His children. And invites us into his family. Or uh, a passage that really is informed by God's own self-description in Exodus 34. Listen to this passage from Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13. Psalm 103, 8 through 13 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, overflowing in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our wrongdoing. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear Him, that's who our Father is. He's that kind of person. Man, we could go on and on and on. But what kind of Father is God? He's like that, and it's that description of God that we we welcome into our mind and into our heart as we pray to God as our Father. In heaven, And so we let our understanding of and our experience of and the truth about God found in Scripture inform our understanding of God as Father. And we see that He's a good, generous, gracious, merciful, wise, loving Father. That's who Jesus invites us to pray to, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. So let me just say to you, if you didn't have a dad growing up, or if you had a really rough experience of your father, let the fathership of God into that place. Let the fathership of this good God into that spot, that wound, that hurt, that emptiness, that lack, and let him fill it. He's good enough. He's wise enough. He's smart enough. He's gracious enough to fill that place and tenderly receive that or tenderly heal that wound. And it may never make the scar go away, right? It may never make the pain of an earthly father who was absent or uninvolved or even mean go away. But it can at least begin to let you know what it's like to have a father who loves you, who really does love you. And so we pray to our father who art in heaven, Now, Jesus then begins to go through a series of requests in the Lord's Prayer, and let's just hit this first one uh, for the sake of time in this episode. So the first request after we pray to our Father who art in heaven, the first request is, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. What are we asking when we say that? We're saying, Father, we want your name to be hallowed. Well, hallowed really is the idea of being set apart, being treated as holy, not being profaned or dishonored, but being set apart as holy and therefore honored as such. Um, In fact, there's a very fascinating passage in uh, Ezekiel 36 that in some ways at least shapes the background to this phrase and ought to inform our understanding. Let me read it to you. Ezekiel 36 verses 22 and following. God says this, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. God cares about his name being honored and treated with respect. And in uh, Middle Eastern culture, the name really is like the almost the essence of the person. It captures the person. And so it's for the sake of my holy name, which, God says, you, Israel, have profaned among the nations to which you came. And he says, I will, in this translation, the ESV, it says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. In the New King James, it says, I will sanctify my great name. It's our word hallowed. Hallowed in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Right there, I will hallow my great name. I will set it apart as holy. Um, I, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned by you among the nations, Um, which you profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when through you I will hallow my holiness before their eyes, when I will be hallowed among their eyes. Notice what God is saying there. He's saying, by your behavior, by the way you treated me, by breaking the covenant, Israel, you profaned my name, you dishonored me. Well, I'm going to act to hallow my name. And in the context of Ezekiel 36, here's how he's going to do that. He's actually someday going to make a new covenant and he's going to send his spirit. And that spirit will... Take out the heart of stone that's in them, God says, and it will put a heart of flesh so that they will actually obey God. We know that that was achieved through the work of Jesus. And then the Spirit was poured out. And now we we have that new heart, and we're of the Spirit. And therefore, we are empowered and enabled in a distinctive, unique way that Israel wasn't to actually obey God. And in doing so, and obeying God, we actually, therefore, can hallow His name. That's the first request here in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, May your name be hallowed. May it be treated with honor. May it not be profane. And one of the major ways that's going to happen is through us as Jesus' people, as the children of our Father, acting like Him, learning how to, to act like Him and reflect His great name back into the world, um, to to actually be children who honor our father who and w- who want his name to be honored and and so we're pursuing that. In fact, Dallas Willard commenting on this section says this is actually like the request of a child who loves his dad and and wants his dad to be treated well. Yeah, you've seen it with little kids, right? Well, well, my dad can lift up your dad. Well, my dad's stronger than your dad. It's the child who wants their dad's name to be honored, wants everyone to know how great their dad is. That's what this request is all about. This request is about honoring the name of God. And we have a responsibility, a part to play in that by how we live, by how we act, by the things we do, by how we treat each other, by how we love each other, by how we love our neighbor. In doing so, we reflect the the holy name of our Father back into the world. And that that is ultimately what it means to hallow God's name. So that's how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father, our good, wise, loving Father, we love you and we want your name to be exalted. We want your name to be lifted up. We want it to be treated with honor and respect. So may your name be hallowed. God, may you work in and among and through us for the sake of your great name, so that it would be treated with honor and respect among the nations where we live. All right, that's as far as we can get today. We'll look at the rest of the Lord's uh, prayer in uh, the next episode. Thanks for for tuning in today and for listening. Again, let's uh, let's help iTunes promote our podcast, our Bible and Life podcast together that we're, we're really all listening to and enjoying together. Let's help iTunes promote that by rating and reviewing this podcast. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time on The Bible in Life.